You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. And this is the theme for us this summer, that we come before God, we wait on him, and in doing so, we're able to walk forward in the way that he has made for us through Jesus' son. So we're pursuing God's will, we're learning about it and how we operate within the big picture of it and within specific ways as well. So my prayer for this morning is just that this, as I said, is another step forward in each of us knowing God's will and living it out well. Uh, We've gone through a number of topics up until this point. It's been our summer series. We're almost at the end. Um... We've learned a lot, so if you're just joining us now or there's anything that you've missed, please feel free to revisit the different teachings. Uh, They're available online. You can look those up if you want to hear those. Uh, But one of the things, one of the themes that God's been reminding me of again and again this summer as we've asked him to show us his will is that as we ask that question, Lord, show me your ways, teach me your paths, that he has indeed revealed these things to us already in his word, hasn't he? Second Timothy 3 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. It's good for teaching, for reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word equips us. It completes us in doing the good works that we're called to. And those are the things that we've been learning about the past two weeks was doing good works in God's will. His word equips us and makes us complete to see those things through. So while we seek his will, while we ask for it, let, let it, his, his word, let the scripture never uh, leave us, our minds and our hearts and our lips as we pursue his will. Speaking of which, we have a passage this morning that I'll be uh, reading and teaching from. Our main passage is from Matthew chapter 22, uh, where Jesus is asked a very big question, and we get to hear his response. Matthew 22, 36 to 40, someone says, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus' answer to this big question is an excellent way for us to understand God's will for our lives in sort of a big picture way and how we go about living it out. Now, it begins with what we were talking about just before this, that God's will is provided for us in his written word. 
The reason I say this is because Jesus' reply to the question is not a random one. It's not a new teaching or something that he came up with. But it's actually a traditional Jewish belief and practice that is found in the Old Testament scripture. So Jesus' response to this question is a scriptural one. Jesus, the man who is both fully human and fully God, refers to the same written word that we have in our Bibles when he's asked what the most important command should be. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. What Jesus quotes is uh, what Jewish believers call the Shema prayer. It's a prayer that uh, people who practice Jewish beliefs pray two times each day. It's the most well-known of all Jewish liturgies is the Shema. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5 is how it begins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I was interested to learn that the Hebrew word for hear that begins verse 4, hear, O Israel, is the word Shema, which the, the prayer is named after. But Shema means hear, it can be translated to hear. It can be translated to listen, as some of your Bibles may translate it. And this can be understood in the literal way, as in, you hear my voice right now, you shema what I am saying to you. But there's also a, a slightly different meaning to the word, where not only do you hear what is being said, but that you are commanded to action by uh, hearing. So not only do we listen when we shema, but we actually uh, are caused to act, to do something based on what we are being told. In fact, this is a very common word in the Old Testament. You can find it again and again and again. And even in times where it's being used, or, or sorry, where the scripture speaks of obedience, the word very well may be this word, the same one, shema, the word for listen. So when the Lord is calling his people to listen, he is telling them to live in obedience to what he's about to say. He says, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with everything in you, with your heart, soul, and your might. Knowing this, it is hard for me to honestly say that I don't know what God wants me to do. If I'm willing to listen to the most central and basic command in all of the Bible, I'm plainly told that the Lord is one and that I am to love him. I'm commanded to do this. And I'm struck by that. Isn't it amazing that the, the one true God, the true creator, the one who reigns supreme over all things eternally, what he most fully desires his people to do is love him, to love him. I'm amazed by this, that of all the things he could have commanded from his people, it is love. And Jesus teaches this over and over in the passage we heard, and he confirms it again in John chapter 15. He tells his disciples this, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, if unless you are brand new to the Christian faith, and if you are, welcome. Um, but for those who have perhaps been around church or read scripture or have any idea at all about Christianity, the, the concept of God and love should be familiar to us. God's love should be something that we're already aware of. But if we approach the Shema, if we approach Jesus' great commands with ears to hear and ears to obey and do the command, the truth is we will continually be transformed by the command to love. We will be transformed by this command because the thing we are to hear and obey above all others is love. Now, this sounds nice, I hope. I, when I hear this, I'm, I feel peaceful and, and happy that, you know, the God that I serve is one who desires love. This is a good thing. But it's also interesting, and oftentimes I think, if we're honest, part of what makes Christianity also uh, frustrating for us or perhaps turns some people away um, the reason for this is because in a lot of ways, it would be easier if we could wake up each day knowing that God simply demands an, a list of specific religious obligations that we could fulfill, right? Like a checklist of some kind that we could go through on a daily basis, get it done, and, and it would be, you know, we'd be on his good side because we behaved in a certain way or whatever. And I think many of us, whether we're Christian or non, we still tend to think this way a little bit about God. But the truth is, this is not actually what God wants from his people, and it's not what would be good for us anyways. Jesus reminds us that the great command is not a religious one, but a relational one. The great command is not a religious one necessarily in the traditional sense, but rather it's a relational one. God's will for us is about our heart posture, our, our heart towards him. And Jesus tells us our heart in turn as well towards our neighbor. Now, we may be wondering or asking the question, well, what about all of the other commands that are more specific, right? Whether it's the Ten Commandments or the call to justice and mercy um, or the more obscure ones which we have a hard time understanding. Um, these are not made uh, less important by what Jesus teaches the command to love, but rather they're validated by it, right? Jesus says the Old Testament, the law and the prophet, they hang on these things. They depend on, upon them. They all come from this first command of love. The Apostle Paul helps us understand it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. No offense, Brad. We love the drums. But um, <laughs> uh, if, if I have, 
you know, prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So while we come before God and wait on him and we long for his will to be done in our lives, in our church, in our city, and in the world, we must orbit around love. If we desire to please God, we have to be grounded in this command to love him. And without loving God, we cannot please him and on top of that, we'll remain blind to his will for us in the more specific ways that he wants us to work in the world if we don't have love. All the good things we could attempt would not matter if they are without their essence, which is God's love. Again, Jesus describes this thinking in the Gospels in a, different, a few different places, and it's often when he's speaking with uh, the religious experts, right? The, the experts of the law or the Pharisees, uh, the people who are supposed to have this stuff figured out. In Matthew 23, 23, he sounds exasperated. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin. They're spices. They're ground spices. They pay a tenth of offering to God. And yet, you have neglected the most important matters of the law, of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. This kind of uh, fake religion is one that God and Jesus clearly wants nothing to do with. Instead, we must obey God in love. It's interesting that the legal experts in our main passage, they ask Jesus what the greatest command is, uh, and Jesus actually gives them two commands, doesn't he? First, he quotes the Shema, and then he adds a second command that appears to be inseparable. He can't answer their question without giving the second one as well, loving your neighbor as yourself. And this command, I should note, is also a reference to Scripture. We find it mainly in Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. So while God commands us to love him, well, Jesus says that we must love God with everything we have. The love of other people is proof of our inner love for God. It's God's love within us made visible or tangible. When we love one another, we are acting upon the love of our Heavenly Father within us. And as I reflected on this, I, I felt reminded that if I was naturally predisposed to loving my neighbor on my own, if I did that automatically, if I just was going to love people, then God would not have commanded it. If I were going to do this automatically, God would have commanded something else because he, I wouldn't need to be told to do it. The point is, in our natural state, we're not necessarily going to want to do this, and so it's commanded by God 
that we love one another. God knows that we need to be told uh, what to do. And so he tells us. It's described for us uh, really well in 1 John how this works. 1 John 4, 19 to 21 says, We love because he first loved us. So if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother and sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and his sister. So again, I want to repeat the point from the beginning that we aren't challenged by not knowing what God's will is, right? The challenge is more so our willingness to see it through and participate and obey. God's will is that we love people. Uh, so to that, I wanted to repeat a, a really excellent point that uh, Pastor Greg made a couple of weeks ago on this stuff. He said, uh, we don't have to ask for God's permission to do what God has already told us to do. We don't have to ask God's permission to do what he's already told us to do. This would be like when my children come up to me and, and say, Dad, can I brush my teeth? Yes, of course you can. I, I'm, I'm always going to say you're allowed to brush your teeth, uh, except for Malachi because he's one years old. But like the older kids, it's always something that I want them to do. And while you're at it, do it twice a day for the rest of your life. Yes, brush your teeth. And, and they don't have to ask my permission to do something like that, right? Or, Dad, can I, you know, clean up the mess that I've made in the basement and put the toys away? Yes, please, do it. That's what I've commanded you to do. Um, uh, kids, if you're listening <laughs> at home, I command you. Um, we don't have to ask for God's permission um, to do the things that he's already uh, told us to do. But if we're honest, um, like I said, this is maybe easier said than done, or it would be easier if God was commanding just some sort of you know, behaviors that, that we could just get it over with and carry on from. Because loving people is uh, often hard to do. It's hard for us to do. It is easier to just uh, love maybe those who love us back or make us feel good. It's easier to stick to ourselves and, and avoid other people so as to not be challenged, you know, by finding ways to love others. And, and, but the command is uh, to love our neighbor. I think that uh, loving our neighbor is especially hard uh, in the, the age of the Internet right, where we're, we're kind of confused about our identities and what they are and how they're lived out and stuff. Our identities are more performed than ever, which is to say that we share things, certain things, for other people to see, and then we, you know, on the other side, we observe that and we associate it with the other person and so on. But this confuses us when it comes to loving our neighbor and actually having relationships, real relationships in person with people, not to you know, say that there's nothing good that comes from uh, social media or whatever. We can connect well there, too. 
But the way we perceive people right now is, is interesting to say the least. And without an awareness of God's love in us, I think that we tend to carry that, you know, kind of warped thinking into our relationships, into our interactions with our neighbors or with people on the street and so on. Uh, take the issue that's staring us in the face right now with masks and, and COVID-19. Even saying those words, I can feel, some, you know, the tension rise just a little bit. And this is a topic that's caused incredible amount of debate and division, uh, even in our small city of Lethbridge. And, and I get that. I don't know how you personally feel about having to wear a mask to a place like this. And you don't know how I personally feel about it necessarily either, because that's not the point. I raise the issue because a topic like this that's uh, charged and political and emotional can so quickly cause us to act towards our neighbor, not with love, but with criticism or outrage or gossip or malice or even hate instead of the commanded love. Um, a, f a kind of a funny example of this from my life, we were uh, at a, a city facility, and cities run by the facil uh, facilities run by the city of Lethbridge have had this bylaw in effect for a couple of weeks already. So in like a bus, for example, you have to wear a mask, and the people, the staff have to wear a mask. Uh, so we were in a facility with our family and going through, and uh, at the admissions desk, someone came in, and so the person working behind the counter, uh, you know, politely told them, thank you for coming. You know, we're going to charge you this much money. And also, you do have to wear a mask because this is a city facility. And we'll give you one if you don't have one. Um, and, and the person who was going into the facility started to tell the employee that what they were saying was not true. Uh, and actually start to kind of debate them on it, but they were being like straight up. They're like, that is not true. What you're saying isn't true. It's not real. Um, I don't have to wear a mask. And then they're kind of like, well, I will wear one, but it's just, it's not true that I have to. Um, in Calgary, it's true, but not in Lethbridge and, and so on. And the employee was maintaining composure, but kind of saying like, well, they were calling them a liar. So anyways, it's like, well, it is true. And you know, so what are, what are we going to do? And eventually the person was like, well, we're not going to argue about it. I'll take one, but I'll probably just take it off anyways. Um, so in they went. And, and we observed this because we were like the only other people in the place. And it was just really awkward. Maybe you've observed something like this in public as well. Because like I said, people are, are um, we have a lot of feelings about this. And I get it. But uh, anyways, what was even more interesting was then as we... Uh, crossed paths with this person, they started chatting with us in a much more kind sort of way, which I was thankful for. Um, and if you know my wife, Chris Lynn, you'll know that she is uh, very pregnant right now, eight months, uh, nine months pregnant almost. And so uh, this person was asking about her baby and stuff, and, and we were talking about when she was due. And then as this person went on their way, they prayed for our baby, in, just as they sort of walked away, they prayed like, Lord Jesus, would you protect this baby and bless this new life? And, the, and we, we bless them in, in Jesus' name. Which was nice, but also 
a little unexpected. First of all, it was unexpected because I'm not accustomed to, you know, meeting another person of faith who will just pray with me or for me. So that was, that was great. But the unfortunate part is that it was also kind of unexpected because of the just moments prior, the, the interaction that they had had coming into this place and the, the way that they behaved about the topic of wearing a mask. And so am I picking on one person? Uh, yes, I am. And it could very well just as, as easily been me doing something like this too. But the, the example goes to show um, that if... If, we're, if our buttons are pushed or if we're talking about something that makes us uncomfortable so quickly, can we change from being uh, loving people because we know this person, you know, they know the Lord and they love him, I'm sure. But um, if we're not careful in the way that we interact with our neighbors, we're going to uh, turn away from love and start treating people in other ways that don't please God and don't show them God's love. So, again with the example of masks, what do we do? When we see another person wearing a mask or not wearing one or wearing one wrong or getting angry about having to wear one at all, I challenge you in your perspective towards that person, towards your neighbor, to ask yourself if you still love them in your heart, or if you're letting the controversy over the current issue blind you to the human that God's put in front of you and has called you to show love to. Because if we can't love our neighbor in the times we're living in, then we're going to miss out on so much of what God's will is for us, especially in this time. There are so many opportunities that God is giving us to love right now that we must not miss as we go through uh, this pandemic. And if we cannot love our neighbor who is different than us or possibly even offending us, then how much have we really received the grace with which our Father loved us first? If we can't love our neighbor, how much have we received God's grace with which he's loved us? As we read in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So as we talk about this kind of stuff, this is where our need and God's abundance meet up. As we're made aware of the areas in our lives, in my life, where I may be lacking love towards others, God promises to meet my weakness with his strength. And the, the good news, too, is that our love for our neighbor does not, it's not something that we have to just come up with out of thin air and constantly, you know, just create. No. We are able to love our neighbor because we know the source of love and we are experiencing God's love and reciprocating it back to him. We love God with everything in us and we love our neighbor. And this is what we've been circling around all of this morning. This is the will of God for us that we love him 
with everything we have and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. I will uh, invite the bands to come back to the stage now for worship and a time to receive communion as well. Uh, In communion, we're reminded of Jesus' obedience to the will of God, even to the point of death by crucifixion. This was a sacrifice that he made, and it was the greatest and most important act of love that has ever been done. And God did this for us, though we did nothing to deserve this kind of love from him. He made it happen. He made a way for us to know him and and be close to him by bridging the gap that had separated us because of sin. So for all who believe in what Jesus has done, who put their faith in Jesus and lean on that, we are invited to the tables of communion to proclaim his death and all that it means to us until he comes again. So we have, I looked at the tables as I said that, but there's nothing on the the tables where we usually take communion out. You have these prepackaged cups. On the first layer, there's, there's a thin plastic covering the cracker on top of the lid. You can open that. This cracker uh, represents the, the bread, which is Jesus' body broken for us. Let's take it now and eat it together in remembrance of him. And in the second layer of this cup as well, there's juice that resembles the wine uh, symbol of Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We take this together now in thanksgiving to him. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us your will in that you want us to love you and to love others. But you are a God who doesn't only tell us this, but you showed it to us. You did it by coming, by giving your son to die on the cross and to raise again in three days. We celebrate the resurrection this morning for restoration. Thank you, God, for restoring the love between you and us so that we can know you and experience forgiveness of sins and grace and life everlasting that you freely give. We thank you for that. Thank you, God, for restoring our love between our neighbors and ourselves, that we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves, whoever they may be. Give us what we need, Holy Spirit, to love our neighbors well as you would have us do. Lord, give us divine love to share uh, with our friends and families, our neighbors, and even, Lord, our enemies, as you've commanded us to. God, would you make this church a loving church that would just so closely resemble Jesus to this city that you've placed us in. Thank you, God, for your will and that you are working it out in and through us for your good, for the good of your kingdom and for us. 
even today, Lord. Again, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.